I would like to give thanks to the ancestors, known and unknown, those who have paved the way for us to survive this moment of time and to have a reference point to use as a blueprint to deal with these hellish times we are living in. I would also like to give honor and reverence to the woman of the universe for your superior work, for bringing forth the spiritual information through the triple stage of darkness of your womb and giving birth to God. We would like to give reverence to the universe and praises to the indigenous. My name is Raheem Shabazz and this is Necessary Blackness Podcast. Necessary Blackness Podcast, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. with award-winning journalist and filmmaker Raheem Shabazz. This podcast is only for those who are unapologetic because the mind of the conscious man or woman recognizes no monopoly on truth. Truth is relative and always to be sought. This episode of Necessary Blackness Podcast is sponsored by the 7th Annual Ujamaa Fest Cooperative Economic Expo, which takes place in Atlanta, Georgia on Saturday, December 23rd, 2017. For those that don't know, it's one of the largest Metro Atlanta Kwanzaa Festival, the highly anticipated annual event comes to the atrium of Atlanta's City Hall. The mission of the event is to empower the African-American community by providing programming centered around financial literacy and cooperative economics, which is a principle of Kwanzaa, along with a rich cultural celebration, which includes performance, STEM activities, and interactive art sessions for the youth. The Ujamaa Fest Cooperative Economic Expo has an emphasis on the African-American community by providing a marketing place, financial literacy seminars, and a platform to network with other business owners while attracting over 900 attendees last year. This year, family is going to be bigger than ever. Make sure you come out to the 7th Annual Ujamaa Fest Cooperative Economic Economic Expo. This event is free and open to the public. All you have to do is go to ujamafest.com and RSVP, or you simply can go to their Facebook page and find out more information. Peace and power, Black family. This is your host. Raheem Shabazz, and we are here for another episode of Necessary Blackness Podcast. And I am sitting with Cavario H. And for those that don't know, Cavario H. is the former co-founder of the Dawn Diva magazine and former senior editor of Hip Hop Weekly. In 2009, he published his autobiography, Raised by Wolves, Inside the Life and Mind of a Guerrilla Hustler. And in 2013, he released the first installment of the dramatically adventurous political fiction series, Get Smart. So ladies and gentlemen, let's all welcome Cavario H, my brother, how are you doing? Peace, my brother. I'm very well. I'm glad, glad to be here. Thankful to be here on, um, on many levels. Uh, 
managing my difficulties, <laughs> you know. But um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm pleased to be here, man. No matter what. All right. So tell me, what was the uh, reason behind you starting conversations with Cavario, and what was some of the subject matters that you indulge your audience with? Um, well, in the time that we've been doing it, which is now uh, the ninth week, this is the beginning of the ninth week, we have we started out with talking about the um, relationships. And in fact, no, before that, we started out with uh, being authentic. It all started when I was at the studio that my man just finished building up there uh, for Cheshire Bridge for the new location of Jutox Bar. And there's a studio downstairs. My man Mark Curry was in there recording and he was doing a live and I got on there and just in support of him and he was talking about some of the music and the content of the music. And so the conversation started with, you know, me just espousing on some genuineness and the importance of genuineness because obviously there's not a whole lot of media out there that is encouraging that people, you know, invest more so in the, the discovery, the realization, the actualization of their their authentic selves. It's just, you know, be a bullshit artist, be a better bullshit artist than the last guy, the next guy, and you know, you got a check coming. But um, not all money is good money, as the saying goes. But uh, like a lot of sayings from a time before now, people don't understand the context or the the validity of those things, you know, so they missed, the, they missed the wisdom in those things. So I felt it necessary for somebody who could uh, speak to a contemporary audience to bring forth some different subject matter that was, that was actual and factual and was practically applicable as well. I mean, you know, knowing what somebody is wearing or how much they pay for their house or their car or whatever, that's not actually practical, useful information. So you know, since there were some people who I sensed uh, were interested in uh, some more radical kind of uh, processes and so forth, being self-aware, you know, thinking for yourself, kind of focusing on your life, you know, I figured I would speak to those people. So we've discussed everything so far, psychology, um, physiology, relationships, um, pathology, just, you know, and the processes that our, our minds operate with. First and foremost, how does your brain work? Like literally. So, you know, stuff like that. Now, you spoke about the authentic self. I would like to ask you, when did we lose our grasp on what's real and what's entertainment? Uh, we lost our grasp on what was real or what is real and what is entertainment when we started buying into something that we've discussed and, and recently really been discussing um, just the last few days of last week, um, we're talking about um, propaganda. So propaganda is the, the, the perpetuation of, of uh, narrated truths, non-truths, uh, through multiple mediums to the point where people come to the belief or understanding that, there was, that, that what they're uh, receiving through their sensory perception through their ears and their eyes is real. And it's not real, it's just pervasive. And um, a lot of times it speaks to the preferred narrative. So people just, they lean towards it. But because of that, because of that propensity that we have towards moving away from pain and moving towards pleasure at, at any cost, um, we find ourselves in situations where we're highly susceptible to bullshit. 
You know, we'd rather be lied to. Every everybody's had an experience where they said, so it 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 is conclusive by by the way you're responding to what I'm saying. It may not say it out loud, but it comes to a point where everybody has an experience and they go, you know what? It, it, it's obvious you wanted me to lie to you. You wanted me not to tell you the truth. You wanted me to tell you what you wanted to hear because you're more interested in feeling good than you are in being good. You know, so that's how I believe that happened. Just playing on the nature of human beings and be, becoming very um, uh, ingenuitive, you know, very, very intelligent, very smart about it and calling it a business called marketing and advertising. Now, I tuned in on several occasions, and one session that I heard you speak on was about propaganda. And when we deal with propaganda, we deal with the psychological warfare that distracts. Now, in this day and time, we have been distracted by fake news. <laughs> we have been distracted by just so many things that take us off of our path, um, whether it's Donald Trump talking about the NFL players saying that they're being disrespectful to the flag when the protest was not about the flag. So we are bombarded with a lot of propaganda, a lot of nonsense, and a lot of people don't understand that this is a psychological warfare that's being waged against us as black people. Can you speak to the nature of that, of what's going on, and how we can counteract that by being vigilant in our fight for freedom, justice, and equality? You load your questions. What do you mean by that? <laughs> I mean, you, you basically tell me the answer that you want to get. You ask your question in such a way to support the information that you prefer to, uh, to be the narrative. The same that, thing that you is, just talking about. That is propaganda. <laughs> See how we're tuned to that? And, and you know, as I've, as, as I've shared with people, um, the things that have been used against us, such as propaganda, and not just as a group or a community, but as a, uh, a species, you dig? Like no one is beyond propaganda. And it began in many ways a long time ago. It began with, um, with the, the, the perpetuation of religion. You know, propaganda, dogma, indoctrination, uh, education. That is essentially the evolution of playing with information. And putting it into people's heads the way you want it to, to you know, to uh, to affect and impact whom they are, how they are, you know, what they believe themselves to be, and so forth. But you know, if you, as as I have trained myself to do, and continually train myself to do, if you are aware that this is something that's built into the way we communicate with each other, whereas we essentially tell people what it is that we want to hear in the way that we, you know, we speak to them. And then, you know, we wonder why people mislead and miscommunicate what their true intentions or true feelings are. And it's because we ask them to. We, we, we make it a prerequisite. If you want to stay, you know, connected with me and stay in my good graces for whatever reason, then you basically need to assuage my, uh, my, my need to be validated. And, you know, a lot of people put their need to be validated in these, uh, these pretexts of being good people and so forth. Um, but the, the motive for behavior has a lot to do with, you know, whether, you know, it falls under the guise of good or, or not good behavior, you know. And if your motive is ultimately 
one to see yourself self-aggrandize. Where's my accolades? Where are my where are my recognitions? Where's my pat on the back? Where's my attaboy? Then that's not really um, that's not really good. That's more so uh, right in your mind, but it's not really good. You know, so it's deontological ethics. It's the kind of thing that makes a person um, kind of waver on their empathy and so forth. You know. Um, so sometimes they're good and then sometimes they're right. Most of the time they're right, meaning they're looking out for themselves. When they're good, they're doing what is necessary for the best outcome um, overall. And, you know, our, our tendencies as a, as a species towards certain behaviors, it just makes us inclined to do these types of things, largely because we don't know we work that way. So that's why I encourage a cognizant, self-aware process, you know, a critical process where you question yourself, you question your motives, you question your behaviors, because a lot of it, the majority of it is programmed into you. It's not something that you came to the conclusion of being valid behavior. It's just something that you kind of gathered from your developmental uh, influences. So whoever your people were, you are largely um, a product of them, you know, and if you haven't uh, assessed the efficiency of that of, of being that then you, you're probably not operating at the best level you know or, or your authentic self you know what I mean which creates all types of opportunities for all types of problems in all aspects of life essentially now most aspect of our daily living is affected by propaganda whether it's religion entertainment politics and laws right and as you said, that we are programmed and that is programmed into us. What can we do to deprogram ourselves? Like for me, what I like to do is I like to read. I like because a lot of the information that we need to liberate ourselves, we're not going to get it too much on these internet sites. So I like to read and I like to build with individuals that are like mine, such as yourself. What are some of the remedies for other individuals, whether it's a book that they could read? Give us an insight into that. I mean, the, 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 the bottom line is the continuous assimilation of information. Whether it's information that is coming from a like-minded individual or not, because I understand like, one of the premises that we discussed in, um, in recent weeks was naive realism, and that is our uh, propensity to see the world the way we see the world and not uh, not believe that it can be seen any other way and that person be just as accurate as we are. So if you don't see what I see, then you're either uneducated or you are biased or you are just ignorant, you know, and as, as beings having an independent experience or individual experience, um, there's really no two realities that are exactly the same, right? So however you receive information, however it is that you are able to assimilate information, um, whether it is information that you have previously ascribed to and said, this is something I believe to be true and so forth. And so I'm going to endeavor to go further into that to, you know, I have a perception. Now I'm going to, you know, come up with a concept and then I'm going to seek the information to validate that concept. That is not, although we're inclined to it, that's not our, the best approach. The best approach is to have an open mind. And take into consideration all of the uh, perspectives of the individuals that you have the good fortune of coming into contact with, especially if you can have a direct communication with them. Because that's an, an opportunity for you to 
to actually see or hear what it is another person is, if you're willing to open your mind to it. If you understand that there's a way that our brain operates that makes us inclined to see things and fix things to the way we want to see them. You know, there's, there's this thing in us that, um, you know, fills in the blanks if we miss certain things in both our auditory and our uh, ocular systems. So if you, you, if you miss something, you know, something happens real fast and you miss it, your brain works at an incredible rate of speed, like 100,000 miles per hour. You understand? Your, your subconscious, anyway, as opposed to your, like your, um, your conscious mind, like 150, 150 miles an hour is as fast as it's going, as far as the, the movement of those, those neurons, right? So your subconscious is doing all this calculation to fill in what it was that you didn't hear before you even know it. And same thing happens with the things that you see, which is why naive realism is such a real thing. Because of the simple fact that whatever it is your brain fills in, it'll be filling it in based off of what you already are inclined to, you know, however you're inclined to see and perceive and so forth, right? So whatever information you take in is, as I've said before, your mind is a filter. So that information comes in, it comes in pure information, but it's fed through your filter and it comes out on the other end to your conscious mind, tainted with whatever your percepts were, whatever your preconceived notions were. So it changes it for you as an individual, right? So if you don't recognize that, then you'll perceive that anybody that has a different perspective than yours must be wrong because you saw it and you heard it. You know what I'm saying? So as far as being able to um, get around, you know, being able to um, you know, not have conflict with other people, um, the, the issue that I think or the solution that I believe is exposing yourself to information from every, every possible angle. Like, I read everything. Um, I talk to all types of people. <laughs> and, you know, um, I watch all types of documentaries. I, I explained when I first, you know, started talking to people about who I am and, you know, what I've done and what I've been through in my lifetime. I talked about how I used to go to Barnes and Nobles and meet people and grab, you know, grab my bread and drop their work and whatever, whatever. But I'd be in Barnes and Nobles trying to, you know, be inconspicuous. So I'm going from one magazine to another, picking up random magazines, just reading whatever article I think I can read in five or 10 minutes, just so I don't look out of place. And from doing that, I got exposed to a lot of different information. And I found, and this is something I constantly tell the people who engage in this conversations with Kavari with me, all information is relative because you can take premises that you've learned in one field or experience in your life and apply them to a whole other thing. You can take the premises from, from chess and apply them to actual life and you can do the same thing in reverse. But these are entirely two different things. You know what I'm saying? But it, everything has has relevance. Everything is relative to one another. So that's what we need to understand. We need to understand that information is the most important thing for us. We have to continuously keep feeding new input into us in order to evolve ourselves and push ourselves forward. So however it is that you like to do that, you need to do that. But you need to understand that if you're not consciously doing it, if you're not deliberately picking something to put into you, then someone else is determining what is going into you. They're determining whom you will become or whom it is that you will believe yourself to be. They determine that. So, yeah, whatever. Read it. Uh, watch it. 
listen to it. You got audio books. You got um, online seminars. You know, you got all types of subject matter. Read articles online, in the magazines, but continuously keep your mind working and opening your mind to more and more things. Because if you knew everything you needed to know to be everything you were going to be, you'd already be everything you was going to be. So, you know, I guess remaining teachable, man, and keeping on pushing. I guess that's probably ultimately what it comes down to. All right, you heard it here first on Necessary Blackness Podcast. Remaining teachable, having an open mind, not being biased. So we're getting ready to go to a quick commercial break, and I'm going to see you on the other side. And for those that are just joining us, I am here with my good brother, Cavario H, and we chopping up good game. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Cavario about his classical books and before this man was the intellectual giant that he is, you know, he ran the unruly streets of Harlem, and that's talked about in his autobiography, and we're going to talk about that, and we're going to get to that. Y'all stay tuned. This is Raheem Shabazz, and this is Necessary Blackness Podcast. Award-winning producer Raheem Shabazz continues the Elementary Genocide documentary series with the School to Prison Pipeline. That film exposes the social engineering done to African-American children in the school system. And his other film, Elementary Genocide 2, The Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration, takes an even deeper look at the history of the American school system and how it was made to justify subjugating black Americans. These films are on track to be the most discussed films in black America. These films feature people like Dr. Boyce Watkins, Dr. Francis Kretz-Welsing, and many, many more. The documentary is available right now at elementarygenocide.com. That's elementarygenocide.com. Tune in for the drop. I am Dr. Kira Taylor. And when I'm tired of listening to fake news, I will listen to some real news and I will check into the Necessary Blackness podcast with my friend Raheem Shabazz. Raheem Shabazz is one of my guys from way back and you're now listening to his show, Necessary Blackness Podcast. Stay tuned. This is a cool up cultivated roots media and I choose to tune into Necessary Blackness because staying connected to my blackness is very necessary. Peace. This is Prince Culture Law and I stay tuned into Necessary Blackness Podcast with Raheem Shabazz. Peace and power. This is reporting live and you're tuned in to Necessary Blackness with my boy Raheem Shabazz. Yeah, this is Professor Ed Garns, founder of the wonderful From Afros to Shell Toes and Sweet Tea Ethics. When I am not spreading liberation theology throughout my classrooms as an African-centered therapist, I am chilling with my homie, Raheem Shabazz, on the Necessary Blackness Podcast. It's essential. Hey, what's going on, man? It's Arthur Emma Henry here. Whenever I want to get the latest on politics, social life issues facing our black community, I tune in to Necessary Blackness with Raheem Shabazz. This is Shali. When I'm not in the gym, I'm checking my son out on his podcast each and every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Make sure you check out Raheem Shabazz. Peace and blessings, beautiful people. This is your girl, Ashton Brianna. Just wanted to get out here and let you know that... Whatever you're doing, no matter where you are on Wednesday night, you can tune into Necessary Blackness, the podcast. Check us out on iTunes, Google Play, uh, where else? Anywhere. 
and you get to listen to me. So why not? Necessary Blackness, Wednesdays. Hey guys, this is Ebony G of Having My Say Radio. When I'm not having my own say on my radio show every Monday from 9 to 11 p.m. on Love 860, I am tuned in to the Necessary Blackness podcast with Raheem Shabazz. This is Chi-Town's finest, Khadidra. And when I'm relaxing, I enjoy listening to Necessary Blackness podcast with Raheem Shabazz. Yo, this is Cambino. And when I'm riding down Stony, all I listen to is Necessary Blackness podcast with my guy, Raheem Shabazz. Peace. This is Zaza Ali. And when I am not studying the science of the universe and the laws of creation, I am listening to the big homie Raheem Shabazz on Necessary Blackness. Make sure you support. Peace. Yo, what up? It is the Mohawk and Real Talk and Living Fully Businessfully, Dave Anderson of the Business Fully Podcast. You know me when you see me. You heard me in these streets. If you haven't, that's just me breathing down your neck. You are listening to the Necessary Blackness Podcast with my brother, my homeboy, my main Number one cousin from another oven, my man Ryan Shabazz, man. Get in, get your mind right because it's necessary. Yo, that's what I'm talking about, man. You'll hear it here first. <laughs> now our feature presentation. Peace and power, black family. We are back coming from our quick commercial break. And we are here with Cavario H for those that are just joining us. Now, Cavario, I want you to tell the people about the Mind Plug, the Mind Plug Book Club. I want you to tell the people what that is about. And then after that, speaking of book club, we're going to talk about your book. And I was just reading on the back cover of the book where it has a, um, a sentence where it says, the biggest, the baddest. The best and the worst of the underworld. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about his books, which are classics. If you don't have them, you need to go get them. So he's going to explain what Mind Plug is, the Mind Plug book club, and how you can be a part of it so that you can read his books as well as other books and books that are going to raise your vibrational pitch, and have you thinking on a higher frequency so that you are not considered a low-frequency slave. This is Necessary Blackness Podcast, and I'm your host, Raheem Shabazz. So, Cavario, tell them what the Mind Plug Book Club is. So, um, <clears throat> the Mind Plug. The Mind Plug is a concept that my partners and I created to um, put into perspective what it is that I essentially do, right? Which is I encourage people to increase their uh, processes, you know, incorporate more information, um, expand your horizons, and to think critically and question what it is that you believe yourself to believe and, you know, whatever it is that your paradigm is, you know, question it because nine times out of ten it was, it was given to you and not necessarily by somebody who either knew better or was thinking of you. So, you know, the Mind Plug is about creating a hub for that. You know, the Mind Plug uh, page is going to entail um, different information that is basically towards encouraging people to dig deeper into themselves. You know, I'll be 
putting forth affirmations and, you know, different um, educational adages and, you know, introducing people to certain concepts such as critical thinking and so forth like that. Now, the book club is going to be about people participating and sharing the kinds of books that have contributed to their elevation, you know, whatever genre it might be in. Um, and the academy is going to be about the, the lessons that will be derived um, from books like my book, Auto, my autobiography, Raised by Wolves. And there were many lessons that were given in the context of my story. So those lessons are being pulled out and they're being put into a context that can be universally applied in a person's life because it's really all about uh, pragmatism at the end of the day. And that's applicable across the board. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. You know, just being a, a critical thinker by nature and being a person who is self-aware and self-directed, um, it's all part. It's all part of training. So we want to untrain people from that mindlessness. All right, real briefly, I want you to tell me what was your thoughts in writing the book "Raised by Wolves: Inside the Life and Mind of a Guerrilla Hustler." What did you want people to get out of this book when they read it? You know. I understand that um, it's an autobiography and it deals with the urban underworld. And a lot of times when you do read about the urban underworld, it's because people are glorifying it. This book, in, in, in my view, um, told you the grit and the truth about the urban underworld, but it also was a cautionary tale to let you know that if you want to venture into this, these are the collateral and consequences that you're going to face. Was that your uh, mission in writing this book? And if not, what was your mission? Actually, that was. My mission was to give people a practical and realistic, in-depth, uncommon perspective of that lifestyle. And being that I was born into it, being that my, my mother and my father and my father figures were, <clears throat> you know, professionals in that space before I, my life began, and that there was another generation between me and and them uh, that had also uh, followed in that in that same vein. That when I got when I came along, I was uh, introduced as a, the third generation in that lifestyle. So. You can say that I'm genetically engineered for the lifestyle. And because of the advantages of those who had come before me and my close proximity to the activity that they participated in, I was able to have a unique perspective that most people wouldn't get to have unless they were at risk themselves. So by the time I got into the life at 13, uh, 1980, I had already gone through a a graduate's class on the game. The because the game is 90% uh, mental. So you know this is where you get the game, you know. And if you're not exposed to that type of environment, then I'm talking about your home. I'm not talking about your hood. That's an accident of geography. If you end up in the street because the, your hood happens to be out of control and economically disadvantaged and you don't 
you aren't aware of very many options in terms of what you could do or what you could be, then your getting into the life is more so a happenstance based on some unfortunate circumstances. But when you are brought into an environment at home where your religion and your education, which is your home, is your primary force or source for that, if that is, if gangsterism is the, uh, the, the, the air you breathe, if you're immersed in it like a fish in a, in a, in a bowl of water, then it is your literal, your literal reality. It is the vibration at which you, you, you vibrate. It's the frequency at which you vibrate. So the way that the game resonated with me was not the way that the game resonated with my friends whose mothers were, you know, uh, school employees and fathers, you know, drove a cab or, you know, mommy is a struggling, you know, mom and dad is a, is a, is a street running, you know, drug, drug user, whatever, whatever. Those are unfortunate circumstances that result in that type of choice, but they're not the same thing as being brought. If you're if you're brought into the game uh, by somebody who gets high and they a junkie, and you know what motivates them to get out there is to 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 be able to facilitate their uh, and pacify their addiction, then what you're learning is addictive behavior. So if you, as a response to being exposed to that type of uh, individual, uh, end up with a lack of perspective to, you know, give you ideas of what else you could do aside being, from, in, you know, from being in the street, then, okay, you end up in the street. And maybe because this person was an addict and you got to see what this addictive behavior, this drug addict behavior got them, um, you might be inclined to not use drugs. So you're just a guy in the street and you're hustling and you're not using drugs. But you learned what you learned from an addict. So, you bring with you addictive behaviors. So you're the guy who doesn't get high, but who buys, starting out, you know, with the first bit of money he gets, you buy 40 pairs of sneakers. And, you know, then you, you, you go on to 20 gold chains, 30 gold chains. And then you grow from there and you get more money and you manage to survive another couple of years. So now you buy in 10 to 15 cars. You are operating as an addict operates. An addict operates in excess. An, ad an addict does not know moderation. An addict overdoes everything. And because the basis of your understanding is in addictive behavior, everything you do, you got too many women. You got, you know, you got too much. You, you drink too much. You know, you smoke too much. You, everything you do, you do too much. And that's counterproductive in any lifestyle. It's especially detrimental in the street. But people see it so much, they think that it's intrinsic to the street, think that's what it is, that's what it's supposed to be. But that's because they've not seen it from the professional's perspective. I was raised by actual, professional, organized gangsters and criminals. So that's what I learned from that perspective. The drugs came much later. By the time I finished getting it, that, that first stage of my education, the drugs came much later. The drugs came at 13, the selling of them. But I'd been getting the indoctrination since I was five, four. You know, uh, I mean, it just, it, it, it just, it had to happen that way. I guess that leads us to the next book, which is called "Old Gangsters and Young Guns." Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because when I, when I, just from the title alone, "Old Gangsters and Young Guns," it's almost like. The old gangsters being the elders, 
and the young guns as being the new school of individuals that are now in the streets and the old gangsters are those that lived through the game and had enough wisdom to survive the game that didn't end up in the two places that you usually end up when you're a part of that street life, which is in jail or death. So tell, tell, tell us a little more about that subject matter, the title, and what that book is actually about. You know, Old Gangsters and Young Guns is an anthology of the top 10 stories that I initially did in Don Diva when we created it in officially December 2000, or December 99, but officially our first actual issue and attempt to being a magazine was 2000, 2000 January. <clears throat> so the, uh, the book was the stories that represented the full gamuts, you know, the extremes of the lifestyle. So one story was about, you know, the extreme degrees of uh, acquisition, you know, amounts of money. And another was about the extreme degrees of violence of this particular organization. And another one was about the extremely young, you know, youthfulness of a particular organization. Shout out my man, Sean Hartwell, Eport Posse, you know, caught his uh, kingpin charge at 16 years old and, uh, you know, got, you know, 20 years, did 20 years in a federal joint from 16, you know. And uh, there was, you know, other joints that were like this one is about you know how this guy goes to court and uh he he goes from being a major kingpin to being a person so so proficient in law and litigation that you know he ends up getting himself out of prison out of a life bid and um getting the judge locked up and causing the prosecutor to kill himself on America's most wanted on live TV you know and he really was the guy that they convicted him to meet. They just didn't convict him uh, legally. You know, that's an extreme story. You know, that's the homie Isaac Wright. And, you know, every story had some extreme to it. You know, some something that made it stand out because essentially all the stories were essentially the same. It was about being able to find the distinguishing aspects of the stories that made them a unique story that, could impart some practical wisdom to anybody who came in contact with the information, you know, universally applicable too, because there's a lot of stuff that's really, is really comes down to life and dealing with life, you know, and, and, and avoiding obstacles and so forth and getting around things and being innovative, you know what I'm saying? So that's essentially what it was. So you got Larry Hoover, you got, you know, the e Posse, you got Boy George out of the Bronx, you got, uh, you know, Meech, you got uh, Sex, Money and Murder, you know, you got uh, uh, Keith out of um, um, out of D.C. You got um, Aaron Jones out of Philadelphia, Junior Black Mafia. You know, uh, and and these are people whom I'm not more than a few degrees removed from. Some I, I knew before they ended up in the book, and some I met, you know, after uh, their stories came into being through common acquaintances. You know, and that's how they ended up in Don Diva magazine, stuff like that. So that's Old Gangsters and Young Guns is the deeper story for a lot of the top stories that were done in the magazine because I only had a few pages to work with. You know what I'm saying? In fact, the longest story I did, the biggest story I did in Don Diva um, was on my Uncle Little Melvin, and it was 12 pages, which was about four or five more pages than everybody else. But his story spanned a great, great, great period of time, you know, before it came to an end. So 2017... 
before we get to 2017, we also have another book that you was very instrumental in. And this is called Fruit of the Forbidden Tree, the autobiography of little Melvin Williams, the story that inspired HBO series, The Wire. What was your contribution to this book and what is your relationship to little Melvin Williams? Well, my relationship with little Melvin Williams was, a, was an avuncular one. And if you don't know what that means, look it up. And he represented the era that I was born to, you know, the era of OGs, original gangsters actual original gangsters, you know, the ones that started, you know, in our community. And uh, so he represented that. He was the last of a, of a breed that was rare, always. It's not a dying breed. It's always been rare. And, uh, you know, he, um, he, I took, it took me about th four years to get him to write this book. And when I, because he's an excellent writer, he's a, he was a brilliant man. And uh, so, you know, I helped him to, you know, put it together and, you know, in terms of his idea, what he wanted to share, how he wanted to share it and so forth. And um, then I uh, took it to my guy who printed my first copies, my first thousand copies of um, Raised by Wolves and uh, we got the thing done. And the fruit of fruit of a forbidden tree was was uh, widely received and uh, highly sought even now, even more so since he's passed away. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just an honor that he left the task to me to continue to bring his legacy forth and move his legacy forth and so forth. And, uh, and so that's what I do. So people that are interested in getting the book, I'm, I am the only source for it. Uh, you can get it from me. You can just uh, you can hit me up on my Instagram, you know, and uh, we'll go from there. Or you can email me. Either way, it's all good. Hey, and I want to read something before we go on, read my book. You mentioned that there was no glorification perspective, but when people hear about somebody who used to be in the street and how they, you know, they did a book, if they did a book and they used to be from the street, then automatically it's assumed that it's gonna be about self-aggrandizement, right? It's gonna be about, yo, I did this and I had that and I was this and we sold that and we did this and all that, but, um, this doesn't fit into that category. So I don't do urban lit, all right? So this is the intro. I'm just gonna share this with y'all. As a child in the constant presence of gangsters, I overheard a lot. I remember hearing it said that it's better to be feared than to be loved. I remember gangsters who tried to live on love, and I remember that it almost always ended badly for them. But then many of the feared didn't fare too well either. I remember an afternoon in a Harlem classroom long ago, after collecting a writing assignment from me, my first grade teacher, whose name I no longer recall, said, you write well, Cavario, you could be a writer. I remember sneering and remarking, a writer? <laughs> I'm gonna be a gangster. I remember thinking that I had chosen the game, but I survived long enough to understand that the game had chosen me long before I even knew what choice was. Long before I understood that the choices we make sometimes lead to circumstances that leave no choices at all. Long before I knew the world was filled with infinite possibilities. Bullshit yourself and the world will play along. We are taught this long before we can identify our true selves. But even before that mentale is uploaded into our psyches, we, as children, operate on simplistic interpretation. This is what makes us more likely to do what the adults in our lives do rather than what they say. My people never wanted me to be in the street, but everything in my home and everything in my community dictated otherwise. 
And as psychologists will often argue whether nature or nurture is the cause of our behaviors, I've come to suspect that it's a bit of both. If that's so, then the likelihood of my becoming who and what I became was as sure as the earth on its axis. Although I ended up bringing something uniquely my own into existence, as I was nurtured in a setting replete with criminal inclination, I often too felt the influences of my parents' innate makeup heavily affecting my actions. The ex exposure hardened me and prepped me for what would become my future. Consciously, I knew nothing of the interaction between my genes and my world, but I held all of my elders in the highest regard. Theirs was a criminal dynasty, cold, mean, and unflinching. And they bared no weaknesses, or at least none that were visible to my young eyes. Growing up in the 70s gave me the opportunity to witness in the end of an era. It is a time that will never be repeated, a time through which I was afforded the knowledge of the unwritten handbook. The pictures on the pages of our invisible manual bore images of fierce flights and frivolous fancies, and I looked forward to growing up and taking my place in this gritty landscape. Like most children, I thought my home was indicative of all homes. I thought that everyone witnessed hundreds of thousands of dollars being counted by their parents on a daily basis. I thought everyone found 100 rounds spitting 45 caliber Thompson submachine guns in their mother's bedroom closet. Thus, by the age of nine, I truly believed that I was genetically engineered for the life of a gangster. And at this point, I have forgotten more about the game of death than most have had the time or opportunity to learn before their time is up and their opportunities are no more. Who am I? I am the son of my Harlem-born gangster-to-a-heart mother and the genetic product of my Harlem-born killer-without-a-heart father. I am the result of confusion and anger and the byproduct of deceit and greed. I am 100% Gorilla Hustler. There you have it, folks. That is Cavario H. And as you know, his classical book is called Raised by Wolves, Inside the Life and Mind of a Gorilla Hustler. And as he said before, every story is extreme and universally applicable. So, what's your story? Hit us up at necessaryblacknesspodcast at gmail and tell us what your story is. And we're going to take another quick commercial break. I'll see you on the other side. And when we come back, Cavario is going to give us some last closing words. And he's going to let y'all know where y'all can find him on the various social media websites. He's going to let y'all know where y'all can connect with him at on Mind Plug and the Mind Plug Book Club so that you can be a part of this book club so that you can get in tune with yourself and the greater person that you can become and the greater person that you are. Peace and black power, black family. This is your host, Raheem Shabazz. Peace and power, Atlanta and the world. Last year, we made history with the beauty, the pageantry, the majesty, and we write black at ya. The second annual Black Power Awards, a celebration of black excellence. Saturday, November 18th, hosted by rapper and activist David Banner and actress Ernestine Johnson. Honorees include Dr. Matulu Shakur, Dr. Rita Marley, and hip-hop legend himself, Rakim Allah. For tickets and information, go to blackpowerawards.com or call 404-439-1044. The second annual Black Power Awards, Saturday, November 18th, at the Sheraton Atlanta downtown. 
Elementary Genocide provides a critical expose of mass incarceration, the war on drugs, and the connection between slavery, capitalism, and the prison industrial complex. Visit our website at www.elementarygenocide.com. Now available, Elementary Genocide, the School to Prison Pipeline. Elementary Genocide 2, the Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration. And the newest release, Elementary Genocide 3, Academic Holocaust. Log on today to purchase your very own three-set docuseries. For those that are just joining us, we have Cavario H. in the building, and we had a very good conversation. And as we always do, when we hear on Necessary Blackness podcast, so what we're going to do is we're going to give Cavario H., the last closing words, and then he's also going to tell you where you can find him at on his various social media platforms. Yes. So, first of all, man, I appreciate I appreciate you reaching out to me and inviting me to uh, participate in the Necessary Blackness podcast. I know there's going to be some incredible things coming out of this situation here with all the work that you're putting in with your elementary genocide. You know, what you're creating is a curriculum. It's an it's a, a another education, you know, that is necessary, you know. And one day people are going to have to um, come and uh, attend classes and so forth in order to get the information that you're sharing in here, so they can understand the relevance of it to their everyday lives. So um, I'm definitely I'm I like being a part of uh, history, you know. So thanks for that. Um, as far as you know, my works and where people can find my works. Um, for my publishing works, my books, you can go to www.cav, as in Vincent, A-R-I-O, at A-T, not the at sign, the word A-T, large, L-A-R-G-E, dot com. That's Cavario at large dot com. And you can find my books there and stuff like that. You can find some other media. You can hear the audio from the conversation I recorded and shared with the world a few years ago of me and Meech speaking when he was um, in the hole at uh, Atlanta USP. And, you know, you can hear the audio sample from my audio book from Raised by Wolves where I, I read the entire book and it's going to be a cinematic audio, so you're going to be hearing music. It's going to be like listening to a movie, you know. I'll even have some people in there playing certain parts, certain roles and stuff like that. And so you can go on my site, actually, and you can you can hear the sample of that. And um, as far as the social media platforms, you got the Mind Plug, which I recently launched, the Mind Plug brand, and it'll be all elevated information, motivational, inspirational, but not in the not in the sense that most of what people are, are exposed to generally as motivational, inspirational, but it'll be practical. So it'll be things that I've put together um, from my practical experiences in the real world and ways that I would take an experience and put it into a an adage or a quote so as to remind myself what it is that I learned in that instance or that experience and I could keep it in the forefront so as to lessen my likelihood of repeating that particular uh, misstep. And so the mind plug will essentially be this um, 
pragmatic this this form this platform for pragmatism and so it's all really this real sense type real life things you know information and so forth and the mind plug academy will be about promoting um the different lessons to be taken away from some of these you know instances and these stories and so forth that I've experienced, which, you know, will be pulled from the Raised by Wolves book, as well as the Old Gangsters and Young's, Young Guns book, because those stories are extensions of me as well. And, uh, you know, so I was close and personal with those particular stories and the individuals that, you know, were the primaries in those stories. So they're sharing their practical experiences and insight as well as I know them, as I know the experiences and as I know the individuals. So the Mind Plug Academy will have that, have elements of that in it um, and, you know, putting into a practical format that people can actually turn into lessons. It would be, you know, presented in a lesson format. And the Mind Plug Book Club, of course, is about, you know, people contributing to our book list, our, our base, our knowledge base. And, you know, sharing a little bit of insight about the particular books that they'll be posting on that particular page and what they got from it, what lessons they were gone, they gone from and how that book may have impacted their lives and so forth. It's like that. So it's really all about elevation. It's about elevation and, and intellectual expansion and taking self-responsibility and taking that inner journey and, you know, becoming our authentic selves. So that's essentially, you know, my whole, the gamut of my whole thing. I got a couple of other things, you know going into the television space and so forth. So those, as those things develop, I will be uh, sharing what's appropriate to share until the final products are ready to be, you know, distributed to the public and so forth. Well, brother, you always have a platform here at Necessary Blackness Podcast to get your information <coughs> out to the public. And, you know, this is your first time on the platform. Let's don't make it your last you you always welcome here, and that's it for us. My name is Raheem Shabazz, and that was Cavario H, Necessary Blackness Podcast. Peace and love, black family. I'll see you same time next week. Peace and power, black family.